This is our series scripture. I do not have it up on the board this morning because I'd like for you to have your Bible or a device or something that has some scripture in it. Amen. And, and kind of follow along and participate with us this morning. I like to have the PowerPoints to help out, but hey, I don't want to do all the work for you. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 16. If you don't have your Bible, you can just cheat off of somebody else next to you. Or rely on memory, because a lot of you may know this verse of scripture. Pull it out of memory. Amen. If you don't have any of those things, then just listen. <laughs> Praise God. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says in the New King James Version of the Bible, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He doesn't miss a nook or a cranny. He sees everyone. And he's looking for somebody that he can not only show himself strong through, but that he can make strong. Come on, he wants to make us strong. Uh, my strong person profile goes like this. Strong person is a person who is marked by great strength, moral power, and abundant resources. This person is superior in faith. Are you a person that someone would look at you and say, hey, that person has great faith? This person is superior in prayer and passion. This person is a person who is forceful when moving forward against obstacles and tenacious and tough when fulfilling God's will. Strong person profile. That means you will not be denied. Come on, saints. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about something that I, I, I believe affects every one of us. Well, before we get into that, I want to talk about, very briefly, seven mountains of culture. I just want to lay a little foundation here that we need to reclaim. We need to reclaim these mountains of culture. These seven areas, these seven mountains, James Dobson, they're not original with me, James Dobson, focus on the family, kind of talked about them a little bit, but I don't believe they were original with him either. Bill Bright with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, really taught on these mountains that we need to reclaim. Also those at um, uh, YFAM and, and, and some other uh, ministries kind of talked about these seven areas that we need to reclaim. And the first one is family. How many know that we need to reclaim this mountain, this mountain of culture back to God? The Bible says God formed them male and female. In order to establish families that would reflect his glory. Come on. May we restore Christ as the head of the home. Come on. And then the second one is education. Now, being in this town, we ought to know something about education. Come on. You see, when God is taken out of education, it can get a little dangerous. Come on. It can get a little philosophical, but... Away from scripture, it can take us to places that are just really perverted. Come on. But you see, when God is in education, 
then truth is there and truth shall make us free. Come on. May we seek to promote the true meaning of life through education. The fear of the Lord is, after all, the beginning of wisdom. Come on. Another mountain we need to reclaim is media. Oh yeah, media is a mountain of culture, in case you didn't realize that in today's time. Some of us may not like it as well as others, but the fact of the matter is, it's here. It's how we communicate. You know, God used media to communicate as well. Come on now. Not just a booming voice from the sky, but he talked through illustrations, you know, all sorts of things. And so media is, is, is something that's very real. And we need to reclaim that mountain of culture for God. May we restore the ability to communicate truth and good news using his creative avenues. What about arts and entertainment? Oh yeah, this is, this is something that is of the Lord. You know, growing up in church, one of the cliches that I always heard when somebody got up to sing a special or maybe to preach a word or to, 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 to do something to maybe act or whatever it was, one of the cliches I've always heard is, well, I'm not up here to entertain you. And, and I understand that. Brother Carter knows what I'm talking about. I, and, I, and I do understand where they're coming from. But I don't want to blow your theology out of the water. Can I just tell you something, though? It is somewhat entertaining to see someone who's good and skilled at their craft. I mean, after all, I understand the Bible says make a joyful noise. But if you can't sing, come on now. I mean, can we just be practical this morning? I don't think God would have you up singing before people. Come on. So while we're glorifying God, and that is the main crux of why you're up there, it is good and entertaining to hear Scott's group sing in harmony because they sound so beautiful. Don't you agree? Come on. Or it's good to hear uh, a good preacher. Maybe one day we'll get that here. But, it's, you know, it's good to hear a good speaker and, uh, you know, or a, a good band like we have here. Come on now. Arts and entertainment is something that God created. For his glory and for us to enjoy. We need to reclaim these instruments to celebrate God's goodness in every area of our life. Come on. Oh, what about government? Oh boy. We have a lot of bad things to say about government right now, I believe. But I'll tell you what. God gave man government to establish freedoms and boundaries. Government is a God establishment, as it should be. You know, government should have some morality to it. It should be righteous, like Solomon. Come on, they should be righteous, like King David, like the righteous kings of Israel. May we reflect his loving kindness and righteous judgments in our government. We should have influence in government. Another mountain is Quite frankly, religion. Religion. Jesus came to speak against the religious leaders. Did you realize that? That Jesus was not, in fact, religious. Actually, when he came, if you read the life of Jesus, he came and he spoke against the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. Because they took religion to a different place. It's kind of like not having God in education. 
when God's not a part of religion, then we cannot connect it with church and with Jesus Christ. Religion becomes something else. You see, God never gave man a religion, but an opportunity to have an intimate relationship with him. Come on. With the creator. May we come to know his presence and power in each of our lives as relational and not religious. Come on. There are some traditions that are good. You know, we say Jesus talked against tradition. There are a lot of traditions that are no good. Sometimes we need to get rid of tradition. Things need to change up. But there are some traditions that are very good. Like we had communion this morning. That's something Jesus established. Come on. He didn't say you had to do it every Sunday, but he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The one I want to talk about today is business. Business is a mountain of culture that we need to reclaim for the glory of God. Business should be viewed as a place to worship God through the area of our calling. Business slash marketplace. And so this morning I want to talk about being strong in workplace mission. Strong in workplace mission. By a show of hands, let me uh, see everyone who's either had a job, has a job now, or plans at some point in their life to get a job. Anybody? Somebody. Just a few. Okay. I would say that affects just about everybody. And those of you who didn't put your hand up, I don't know what you're going to do for a living. Maybe, maybe you plan on marrying up. I don't know. But I would say that most of us either work now or plan on at some point working in the workplace. And so being strong in the workplace for God, I believe, affects all of us. Come on. We need to reclaim the workplace. You may say, why are we talking about workplace mission in church? Thought we were supposed to talk about the scriptures or what being spiritual and all of those type of things. Well, guess what? That includes the workplace, being spiritual. Come on. Most of us work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. You come to church for an hour, two hours, maybe four or five hours a week. But you are at your job for 40 hours a week. You spend time with your family a couple hours a night. But you're at your job eight hours that day. You don't think this is important? Your workplace mission? When you look at the workplace as a God placement, well, the ethic, the philosophy, the joy, come on, the actual excellence that is applied becomes superior now when you look at it as a God placement. You say, oh, come on. Now, Mike, are you telling me that I'm supposed to look at this job as a, as a God placement? That God placed me here? I mean, this is just something that I do uh, in order to, to, to make some money so I can pay my bills, so I can do some other things. But in fact, your workplace is a God placement. Now, some of us don't like our jobs. I, under, I get that. I understand that. Some of us are in jobs that we just don't like. We'd rather not go. Well, I'll tell you something this morning. Each of us, if we had our druthers, something my grandfather used to say, if we had our druthers, of course, we would just want money to show up in our bank account every Friday without having to go and do any work. Come on. But the fact of the matter is work was established by God in the garden. And I'm talking about before the fall. He said to maintain the garden. 
Now, the work was, it would have been easy. We know that, Sister Jeannie, right? Wouldn't have been as hard as it was uh, until when they fell. But there was still work to do. God established that, okay? And so we need to reclaim this mountain. And I would say that there is a peace missing here in America. I, mean, I can't speak for other countries. Some of you are from other countries. I'm talking to people who may be looking at this from other countries, but I can speak about America. And I know there's a piece missing here in America. I'm going to say some things that might step on some toes and it may hurt your feelings a little bit, but they are things that I personally have observed and have been a part of. And I want to tell you that America as a whole does not always do excellent work. Now, I'm not talking bad about my country, but what I'm telling you is we don't always do excellent work. We've been passed up by other countries in the world. Japan, Argentina, China, Russia, that take pride in their work. Germany. Come on, when you hear a, a German talk about a car, <laughs> I mean, they talk about it with such pride that they dare you to find something wrong with it. Come on, because they know it's done with great craftsmanship and excellent work. America has been charged by the rest of the world as being Sloppy workers <laughs> and not doing excellent work. Well, we get upset and we should get upset when we hear those type of things. And when we hear that jobs are outsourced to other countries, we do a lot of complaining, folks, about jobs being outsourced to other countries. And why are we not giving Americans job? But America has been charged by the world as being Number 37 in the world in math and science. Come on, that's, that's the charge that's been put upon us. And we get upset when a lot of this IT work is outsourced. Come on, to India. I deal with it at my job. The biggest problem we have there is a language barrier. It's not the quality of work. I hate to say it. Come on now. We, listen, all I'm saying is we need to step it up. In the workplace. And others can speak about their country. We need to step it up in the workplace, folks. Come on, we need to do things that are excellent. Here's what I want to say about being strong in a workplace mission. If you're a person who's strong in the workplace, you are a person who is strong in workplace mission and you see your workplace as a God placement where you can focus your faith and serve God, influencing people for Christ and fulfilling your God-given purpose in life. Now, I want to tell you, I'm a person, uh, not to brag or anything like that, but I've just been blessed. I, I, I don't know for what reason, but God has really blessed me where it comes to the workplace. And what I'm talking about is that I have really enjoyed uh, my jobs as an adult. I mean, my wife will tell you, I, I had a job when we were first married that did not make enough money to really support my family. But I loved the job so much. And she knew that. The job that I'm in now, I, I, I love going to work. I mean, you know, like I said, if everyone had their druthers, we wouldn't get up in the morning, you know. It's, it's a, but once I'm up, once I brush my teeth, put on my clothes and I'm on my way, then hey, it's on. I want to do excellent work. I mean, I'm so proud when I turn in a project or turn in something and someone else goes, man, this is, this is good work. And I see it come to fruition. It just makes me feel good. 
And we all should feel like that. I mean, if you work in a medical office, you should be happy when you send someone on their way and they're, they're, they're happy about the work that you did. Or if you're in a band and people enjoy the music that you play. Come on, that ought to make you feel good. You just don't practice a couple hours and say, well, I'll just play this. It'll be okay. Guess what? They're not going to come see you very often. Come on. Workplace mission. Here's what I want to say. Reclaiming our workplace. How do we need to reclaim this workplace? Number one, we need to reclaim it as a mission field. Now, most of us in here are not pulpit evangelists. I understand that. Maybe you're not even a a great orator or a great speaker. But listen, by the way that you live, the work that you do, the quality of work that you do, do you show up on time? I had one boss say that unless you're 10 minutes early, you're late. (laughs) I had a saying when I was with the praise team. I said, be on time every time. Except sometimes before time, which is better time. Do you give the man eight hours of your time? Or do you take an extra hour at lunch every day? Come on. People see that. And you're supposed to be a Christian. Do you have integrity in the workplace? See, the workplace is a mission field whether you realize it or not. You're allowing Jesus to speak through you when you do quality work and when you have integrity in the workplace. So we need to reclaim it as a mission field, as a massive opportunity to fulfill our purpose in life, as a place of influence. You'll never get a better opportunity to influence others than on your job. Always looking, well, I can't wait till the church does that next uh, mission over to the Philippines. You know, I want to sign up to go over there so that I can help other people. Or when we do that outreach to the community and we serve hot dogs and all those type of things, I'm going to sign up for that. And I just can't wait. And so now you're waiting for that opportunity. Guess what? You have an opportunity on Monday morning at 8 o'clock when you show up on your job. Come on. To influence others. It's a mission field. And we need to reclaim it as a divine appointment. God placed you here. And he placed people in your life so that you could influence them. Come on. Colossians 3, 22 to 24 says this. Listen closely. It says, servants. This is out of the Amplified. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters says, servants, come on, look at somebody and say, that's you. All right, look at them again and say, that's me. That's right, if you're in this, talking about employees, come on now. I know it's Black History Month, don't get offended by servants. It's talking about employees, come on. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not only when their eyes are on you as pleasers of men, but in simplicity of purpose with all your heart because of your reverence for the Lord. This is why you obey your boss because of your reverence for the Lord and as a sincere expression of your devotion to him. Whatever may be your task, work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men that you will receive the inheritance which is the real reward, the one whom you actually are serving is the Lord 
Christ, the Messiah. Another version says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And it says, don't just do the minimum. Don't just do the minimum. Come on now. This is scripture we're talking. This is God. This is Paul. God talking through Paul to you and me. Don't just do the minimum. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master. Come on. He sees it. God sees these things. But we all have some attitudes toward work, don't we? There is a biblical attitude toward work that we'll get to. But we all have some attitudes towards work. I mean, I've had some very bad attitudes in my life towards work. Come on. I'd be lying if I say I didn't, and so would you. We've had some bad attitudes toward our work. But know that these attitudes toward work didn't start with you. I want to give you a brief historical perspective of attitudes and how they've changed toward the workplace. 2,000 years of attitudes in about five minutes. Come on. I'll split them up. First was called the Classic Period. Now, this was from about 100 A.D. to about 500 A.D. Okay, right up, right with the apostles, right on the heels of Jesus and that whole movement. The Classic Period goes like this. The Greeks, they despised work, folks. They viewed it as a curse. In other words, an evil to be avoided. Work, please. That's an evil. Don't do that at all costs. For Plato and Aristotle, the highest form was the contemplative life. Come on. They just wanted to sit and contemplate. This was the highest form of living to them. Despise work. They devoted themselves to exercise their mind in art, philosophy, and politics. This was the Greeks during this time. The Romans, a lot like the Greeks, they despised labor also. They desired to be independent from having to work for others. Work, please. We don't do that. I was not created for work. That's why they had a big slave culture. Those were the ones who did work. We don't work. They looked at labor as a negative thing. And then during this time, the only culture, uh, surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, were the Hebrew Jews and the Christians that viewed work as a normal part of the divine order of God. No person was exempt from work in their eyes. God began the standard himself. He worked six days and then rested on the seventh. Come on. Work had value, both work of the physical and work of the mind. I realized very well that the physical work had value because I, uh, I worked with my hands for so many years. And then all of a sudden I got a desk job. I quickly understood the value of doing physical work. Come on. It's valuable. <laughs> Jesus worked when he was wrapped in flesh. Come on. Paul was a tent maker. Now, let me ask you a question. This came to my mind. It said Jesus worked. Jesus was what? Carpenter, right? Grew up, learned that trade from his dad. Can you imagine if Jesus and his family, Joseph and Mary, brothers, they came over to someone's house for dinner and they happened to be sitting at a table with some chairs that Jesus made, right? Because he was a carpenter. So you made these tables and chairs for us. Hey, come on over. Let's have dinner. And all of a sudden, 
one of them sat down and the chair broke and they fell down. And they say, hey, Jesus, what's up with the chair? What's up with the table? And he says, well, you know, I've been preparing for my crusades and everything. I really didn't have time to put into it because I got some crusades to do and people are going to get healed. And I have some great things to say with the Sermon on the Mountain. I've got to walk on water and make some some wine out of wine. I got some great things to do. Now, don't worry about this chair, but if you really really want to see something great, sign up for one of my crusades. How many people in that family you think would have come to his crusade? <laughs> I said, man, if you can't even make a chair, why would I come see you talk? Right? Come on. He had to do excellent work. You, you don't think he was proud of his work? Paul was a tent maker. When he came to town, he got a lot of business. And I'll bet that a lot of his inroad to talk to people about the Lord Jesus came because of the great work that he did. The craftsmanship that he had. Come on. So Jesus worked. So should we. The next period was the medieval period. What they did is they separated secular versus sacred. They began to say, okay, there's a secular work and then there's a sacred work. Gradually, the early church fathers gave way to theology of work that said it was a lower state of living. Ordinary work became devalued as it was distinguished separate from spiritual work. In other words, there was secular work and there was spiritual work. And they said, they only used the word vocation for spiritual work. So that's why the monks went and sat in the corner and separated themselves and didn't talk because it was a higher thing to be able to do spiritual work. Because I'm spiritual. I'm higher. I don't do that type of thing. And they separated it. They divided life into secular and sacred, the spiritual contemplative and then the mundane work. Vocation, only the work of the Lord was deemed vocation, meant being called into a spiritual order with special privileges of greater closeness to God by its abundance of good works. I would say that some ministers fall into that today. Feel that it's some special privilege. Well, I can tell you from standing behind this pulpit that it's not a special privilege that makes a minister greater than anyone else. In fact, there's a higher calling. Come on. More responsible. You have people that you're responsible for. Parents know what I'm talking about. When you look at your children, you ever look at them and say, boy, you know what? These are lives that I'm responsible for. Bosses can look at their employees and say, you know what, if I fire this person, I need to think about this because if I fire them, this is their livelihood. So is it really what they did? Is it, does it warrant being fired? Can I talk to them? Can I make them better? I mean, it's a higher responsibility. It doesn't make you better than anyone else. But you better be on the job. Then there was the Reformation period. Reformers and reforming the work of theology. The Renaissance, it gave dignity to work with one's hands. And the Reformers dramatically developed a very positive view of work. This is where Martin Luther came in, the Reformer. He rejected monastism and the division between the sacred and the secular and said, Hey, let's pull that together. God has a purpose for your life, no matter what you do. Whether you're a janitor, whether you're a priest, doctor, 
lawyer, work at Kroger, whatever it is. God has a plan for your life right where you are because we need them all. Come on. If everybody were a priest, where would we buy bread? Come on. <laughs> the reformers redeemed the word vocation into a universal term, which was applicable to all states of life and all kinds of work. John Calvin provided a new theology of work that encouraged that op the opportunity to change vocations in order to better utilize one's gifts, their talents, to be successful. He said, that's not wrong. Find out what you do best and do that. Come on. His theology was that Christ was a transformer of culture and believers are responsible for social transformation. You even had the Puritans. They embraced this theology of work and culture transformation and established what became the Protestant work ethic. Then you had the Enlightenment period and the Industrial Revolution. Now, during the Reformation, secular occupations were enhanced, but the Enlightenment secularized spiritual callings. They removed the right thinking toward God and toward spiritual things. You see, the Enlightenment brought a humanistic or new age ethic of self-interest, thus perverting the original Protestant ethic into a creed of personal success. And so... When you don't have God in the thinking and when you don't seek the Holy Spirit first, our minds can go to a lot of different places and we'll keep searching and seeking for truth. But if you're not searching and seeking for God who says, seek my face while I may be found, you'll never find it. In fact, you'll be so far from the truth. It's like building a house on a faulty foundation. Come on. Sooner or later, that thing is going to fall apart. Brings us right up to today's world of thought about work. We have moved to two basic extremes toward work. Making too little of work and seeing it as a necessary evil and something to be avoided altogether. Come on. And then making too much of work, idolizing it. And deriving identity and security from work. Some do that. Come on. Their identity comes from what they do. The great divide is real in our culture, folks. The divide between the sacred and the secular. Pervasive belief that some parts of our lives are not really important to God. But every part of your life is important to God, including and mostly your workplace, because it's where you spend most of your time. Our work, school, leisure are our own, but anything to do with prayer, church services, and church-based activities, that belongs to God. That's the thought process. See, what I do outside of church, that belongs to me. But anything I do that has to relate to the church, now, that, now I have to do excellent because that's God's. The truth of the matter is it all belongs to God. I'm driving around in Indianapolis. I, over the years, I've, saw, I've seen some bumper stickers that, uh, you know, that, that kind of talk about work. And I kind of jotted some of them down. One says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Come on, you ever seen that one? That's a thought process toward work. 
I owe, I owe, so off the work I go. What about, and we all say this, thank God it's Friday. You know, one of the things that I've, I've learned not to do, it's, it's difficult, is to not wish your life away. Come on, we're always wanting the weekend to come. And we all, all of us, you know, we're ready for the weekend to come. But the more you do that, you wish your life away. Enjoy Monday, enjoy Wednesday, because it's now. Come on. What about, <laughs> what about a bad day at golf is better than a good day at work? Come on. I saw that bumper sticker. I said, amen. I got a couple amens on that one, Brother Jay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say they were far off, you know, just. <laughs> Another one said, work is an interruption of my day. <laughs> Come on. Some people look at work like that. Man, it just interrupts my day. I got a lot of stuff to do. But I got to go to work. <laughs> what about I'm stuck here, but my head is stuck on the weekend? Have you ever been at work, sitting in your cube or at your desk or doing your job, whether you're bagging groceries or whatever it is, and hey, you got a vacation coming up? Where's your mind? Especially if it's Thursday and you leave Sunday for vacation. Man, my mind is already there, wherever it is. It could, I could not even be going anywhere, just at home. My mind is there, man, Monday. I'm just going to sit around, watch TV, right? I'm stuck here, but my head is stuck on the weekend. Another one is a, a cubicle is just a padded cell without a door. I saw that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> Come on now, office space I'm talking about. <laughs> but there is a biblical view of the workplace, folks. Work is defined in the Bible. There is a biblical view. You see, the Hebrew word for work means an act of doing a service. An act of doing a service. The Greek word means to do work, business, or trade by which you find fulfillment. Come on. What is this biblical view of workplace? What does the Bible have to say about it? Work is a God-ordained Purposeful activity involving mental, physical, and emotional energy in service to God and others. That is the biblical view of workplace. It is clear from the interchangeable use of certain words to indicate God's activity in man that work is itself a God-ordained thing. Work was God's purpose for mankind from the beginning. You may not realize this, and you may not want to admit it, but life would be very boring without work. It really would be. I mean, you may not admit it. You may not give a couple amens on that. I understand it. Have you ever been on a two-week vacation and not gone anywhere? Just on two weeks vacation and you're at home, right? Some say, no, I've never done that. Or over, maybe over Christmas break when you're in school, when you have two weeks off. I know this is hard to believe, but a couple of our kids were actually ready to go back to school after such a long time off. Now, part of that probably was we were getting on their nerves, you know, making them do stuff, I'm sure. But, but after a while, you're actually ready to do something, ready to go back to work. What a boring life we would have. What would you look forward to? You could never look forward to the weekend if you didn't have work. Come on. 
God is the model worker, saints. He created the heavens and the earth. All of creation is his work. You see, right in the beginning of Genesis, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Come on. And God called the earth dry land. And the gathering together of the water, he, saw, he called the seas. And he saw that it was good. In other words, God was pleased with what he had created. Come on. He was happy about that thing. And then in Genesis 2, 2, it says, On the seventh day, God ended his work. The word work is in the Bible. <laughs> he ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. God is a working God. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, including work. Psalms 121.4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never slumber nor sleep. God is on the job all the time. Listen to what Jesus had to say in John 5.17. He said, My father has been working until now. And I have been working. God is a carpenter, performer, metal worker. Potter, garment maker, gardener, farmer, shepherd, builder, architect. God does all of these things. And he created you in his own image to work. Genesis chapter 1, he said, let us make man what? In our own image. And then he put the Lord, the, the Lord God put the man in the garden. And what did he do? He said, tend it and keep it. And then I want you to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. He told Adam to name the animals. Now, this is intellectual activity. Scientists, folks, have classified almost a million kind of animals. You don't think this was work for Adam? Come on. There are more than 800,000 kinds of insects. I know you'd be happy to hear that which make up by far the largest group of animals. There are more than 30,000 kinds of fish, over 9,000 kinds of birds, about 6,000 kinds of reptiles, and 3,000 kinds of amphibians, about 5,000 kinds of mammals, and there are more than 350,000 species of plants, and so forth and so on. How long do you think it took Adam to... Name all these. <laughs> that was some work. Come on, that was some work. Think about that next time you're tired at work and you just want to quit. But he told him, cultivate the garden. Just work, serve me. How much land did Adam have to cultivate? I don't know. But you see, sin corrupted mankind and it also distorted man's work. Now, all of a sudden, he said, six days you shall do your labor and do all your work. And you shall till the ground by the sweat of your brow. Sin corrupted it. But man is redeemed by the cross, and with that, his work is redeemed. We folks have a calling to fulfill, and work is part of that calling. So, here it is. What is it? We need to find a purpose for work. 
Why am I giving you all these boring statistics and talking about history? I know you're not at school. But I just wanted to lay a foundation to say this, to say that your attitude toward work is not new. It's been here since the beginning. Come on. You're not, uh, uh, I don't want to say special, but you're not um, different than how others have thought with their mindset toward work. But what it is, is we need to find a purpose for work and then you will enjoy it where God has placed you. Find the purpose in work. Let me give you five purposes for work. Now, this purpose for work, it involves all of life and it can only be found in Christ and the purposes that God has for your life. The pur- your purpose for life is includes, but it's not limited to work. But here's some purposes I want to give you. Number one, first and foremost, to worship and serve God in and through my work. All right, you might want to jot these down. Five purposes for work. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In all you do, yes, even at work. I'll extend it to even at school, when you're taking your tests, when you're studying. We have tried to get on our kids about doing everything excellent, even the subjects that you don't like. You have to be there. It's on your schedule. It's necessary. You have to take it in order to graduate. So since I'm here, I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to do it very well. Come on. That's what Paul is telling the Colossians says, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart. He told the Corinthians, he said, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Come on. Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. God does not like laziness. And idleness. In fact, the truth of the matter is, they're sins. Oh yeah, laziness and idleness. God considers sins. Diligence is a God-ordained way to work. What you do is not as important sometimes as how you do it. Are you excellent in everything you do? Or are you an eye-pleaser? What's an eye pleaser? Someone who gives the minimum performance. Unless someone is watching. Come on. To see work as a gift from God that brings personal fulfillment. Come on, this is a reason to do good work. To see it as a gift from God that brings personal fulfillment. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. That's what King Solomon said. Ecclesiastes 3.22 says, So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works. Your work should be fulfilling to you, using your God-given abilities and opportunities to be useful and to accomplish tasks is rightly satisfying. Work builds us up and gives us a sense of achievement and personal worth. 
Number three, to be able to use my resources to meet my needs and to help others in need. I'm going to say that one again. To be able to use my resources to meet my needs and to help others in need. This is a purpose for working. Ephesians 4.28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. And in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we do not lose heart, we shall reap what God has for us. And then number four, to prosper in my work so I can give toward the extension of the kingdom of God. That's actually fulfilling to be able to give toward the extension of the kingdom of God. Do you realize that the work that Brother Jeff and Brother Keith and myself did in the Philippines and the joy that we brought to those people, not only in the um, meetings that we had, but just by the visitation and the prayer and the gifts. None of that would be possible had everyone not given to the church. Come on, all of us took part in that. And so we, you don't, you're not able to give unless you have some increase. You will not have any increase, or you shouldn't. Unless you work, come on, unless you work. And so you are helping to build the kingdom when you work a job, come on. Jesus told his disciples, he said, go, didn't he? Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. In order to do that, it takes money. And in order to make money, we have to work. And then number five, to see my workplace as a mission field to spread the gospel. Come on. We're always waiting for that opportunity to spread the gospel. But your workplace is the biggest mission field that most of you will ever be on. People are in need at your job, at your place of employment. Not just in need of someone to preach at them, but they're in need of someone who has integrity, someone to encourage them, someone who has character in the midst of all the things that are going on around them. You know, we've had a lot of changes at our job lately, and a lot of those changes people don't like. You know, how many know that at a lot of our jobs, there's a lot of things, a lot of ideas we have uh, that the boss doesn't realize that they're doing wrong? Come on. (laughs) If they would just sit with us in a room, we could tell them how to fix some things, right? Come on. And a lot of those things are true. There's a lot of ideas. Because a lot of times the big boss up there doesn't understand how we do things here. And so when they make different policies, and you know, it's, it's without coming, no one consulted with me in order to change the way we do this thing. The way I deal with contractors or the way I stock the shelves or the way I do that. You have all those ideas, but you've never done the job. Come on, we have some ideas now. So at the place of employment where I work, there's been a lot of changes just like that. And this is a, a big company. This isn't where the boss is in the back. 
This is where the boss is in a different state, in an ivory tower. And he, he, he rules over a multi, 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 multi billion dollar worldwide company that's been around since the late 1800s. Okay? So try, I'm saying this to see, I, I don't think he's going to listen to me. <laughs> you know, he might, I don't know. But I think if I send him an email, I have a feeling he might not get it. Okay? <laughs> to tell him what's wrong here in Indianapolis, in Bloomington. But one of the things that I could do is if I look at my workplace as a mission field to spread the gospel, is I can have some integrity. Because here's, here's the way I look at it. When a mandate comes down at your job, look, we're going to stop stocking the shelves in aisle 14 with macaroni. We're going to put the macaroni in aisle 16 and we're going to put jelly in aisle 14. And you say, man, that's dumb because all the people that buy macaroni go to aisle 14. Why are you going to change it around? So what you do is you complain one time. Say, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I don't think that's a good idea. And here's why. Then if the boss says, that's what I've decided and that's what we're doing, guess what? That's what we're doing, folks. And so that's what I told my coworkers. I said, guess what? How, how long are you going to complain? We, we've had an opportunity to give some feedback and now this is the way it's going to be. So what we're doing, let's do it with integrity. Let's jump into it. You know what folks do? Is when a new mandate comes down, they'll try to sabotage it. Oh, yeah. They'll say, well, this is a dumb way to do it. So then they won't give 100% to that new mandate. And then when it doesn't work, see, I told you, this wasn't going to work in the first place. I told him, I said, no, guys, this is what the boss wants done. Let's do this with everything that we have and make it work. Because the last time I checked, that guy owned the company. Okay? And so if it fails, it's on him. But we need to give our best efforts for it. And what happens is when you do this, others see that. I didn't do it for this, but then I've had others come to me and say, you know what, uh, I think you are a really good leader. And I said, leader? I wasn't trying to lead anything. I'm just trying to do my job, you know. But, uh, but a couple of my friends at work said, no, you are. You're a really good leader because in all this, uh, you know, all we do is complain and you seem to, uh, you know, just enjoy your work. And I'm thinking, well, why would I let a new policy get me down? Why would I let someone else control my whole attitude toward life? Because when you let that upset you, it not only upsets you at work, but it upsets you when you get home. And now you're mean to your family. It upsets you when you go to the game and watch your son play. And now you're yelling at the referee, almost getting in the fight with the referee. Come on. <laughs> that guy probably had a bad day at work is what I'm thinking. <laughs> we saw a parent just about, about to go to blows with the ref. I said, man, come on now. This is it's a little league. <laughs> Probably had a bad day at work. <laughs> but listen, give everything you can to the workplace. It's biblically ordained. God wants you to give 100% no matter where you are and no matter what you do. Not only do we need to be strong with our spiritual disciplines, not only do we need to be strong in knowing Scripture, so that we can repeat it and tell someone how many scriptures we know. Come on, not only do we need to be strong in our prayer life, so when we talk to someone, we can tell them, well, I was praying the other day and God told me such and such. But we need to be strong in workplace mission 
because I guarantee you most of those people are not going to listen to what you have to say about all this stuff you read in the Bible unless they see you perform with some integrity on the job. Come on. How many believe that this morning? How many this morning? How many this morning? Now, don't lie to me. You don't have to lie. But how many this morning are going to at least make an attempt to have a different view toward work when you go in Monday morning? Come on, at least make an attempt to have a biblical view towards your workplace or your school. Come on. Maybe not all of us, but some of us. Well, I want to tell you this morning that it's very difficult to do that without Jesus in your life. If you try to do that on your own, you'll never make it because someone will frustrate you, folks. And as soon as they frustrate you, you will revert to what you know best. But when Jesus is in your life, you've got something in there saying, no, 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 now, now. We just lost a guy at our work. Uh, come on up, Brother Matthew. Uh, we just lost a guy at work. No, we didn't lose it. He retired when I say we lost a guy. He, we called him the now, now guy. Because he, he sits next to one of my coworkers, and boy, she has some opinions. You ever know anybody that has a few opinions? I mean, this lady has some opinions, boy. She's, she's a good friend of mine. She has some opinions. And then this guy that we lost, Brian, he, he sits in a cube right next to her. And all you ever heard was, now, now. Now, now, Cindy. She'd be talking to a customer. What? You want me to? Now, now, Cindy. Now, now. <laughs> Every job needs a now, now guy. Come on. <laughs> but it's very difficult not to get upset. It's very difficult not to revert if you don't have the Lord Jesus in your life. In fact, you cannot witness to someone else without the Spirit moving in you. You can do nothing without the Lord Jesus. I don't want to give you a fire and brimstone recap this morning, but the place you're headed without Jesus is a place of separation. Jesus stood before his disciples and before the world and said these words. He said, I am the way. And I don't want to add anything to scripture. I'm not doing that. But if I could just expound on what I understand that to mean, Jesus is saying, I am the only single way to get to the Father. There is no other way. You cannot follow Muhammad. Now, these are Jesus' words, not me. You cannot follow Mother Teresa. You can't follow a good person. You can't follow T.D. Jakes only. Because all he'll do is point you to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. No man comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father except by me. You have to have Jesus in your life. If you don't, you're not getting there. Now, that's Bible. I've never heard any other great man or woman stand before people and say that. No one has said, hey, I am the only way. Jesus was the only one with the audacity, the unmitigated gall to stand before people and say, you ain't getting there unless it's by the kid. <laughs> I'm the only way to get there.